Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I am Julia Clare. Kate, how are you doing? I'm okay. So, you know, I'm very excited about this week's episode. I'll get into that just for a second before I get into my personal life. Um, but this week we <laughs> we did a, a collaboration with the uh, Shama Solidarity Campaign, uh, which is in, in, in Seattle. Some billionaires are trying to... Uh, Recall our comrade Shama Sawant, who is a socialist city council member, the first socialist city council member in Seattle in a hundred years. And we Ooh. got to do a really cool interview with her. She is on fire. This woman is she's, she's so incredible. Smart. The movement is so lucky to have her. I remember seeing like just videos of her back in like 2016 and being like what what's happening like this person has so much energy and passion and um yeah it was just so cool to get to talk to her she's also really funny which was yeah she's great yeah like i wasn't she seems so serious because she uh you know she a very very passionate very smart very effective socialist um but she's also just like hilarious um so yeah she's she's down for a laugh we love to see it yeah um so that's that. We also got to interview uh, a few folks from DSALA and uh, from the uh, Solidarity Campaign and Tax Amazon Burbank. Um, and we're gonna pu- we're gonna put some of that content on our our Patreon, or maybe we'll make it available as a as a bonus episode because I really wanted to to get the word out, but. Um, Anyway, so basically, a lot of our focus this week is on the Shama Solidarity Campaign. Um, and Kate and I are also doing a, uh, I don't know if it's a, a fundraiser or something. It's like a telethon. Yeah, with some uh, clips from the interviews that we did right. this week. Um, and that is on, uh, yeah, that will be, I think it's like officially airing on Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, what's, what's going on in my personal life? I'm now the single mom of two cats. <laughs> Parted ways with, uh, you know, my boyfriend, my friend, my reply guy. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, sometimes relationships are, are not meant to last forever, even if they're... Uh, even if they're fun and even if you grow, sometimes, you know, um, it's just not, just as it go on forever, could be friends, could be comrades, um, I, but I'm just, mainly what I'm happy about at this point is that this is really going to free us both up to spend more time online, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and fulfill. And that's, and that's, you, you guys both got online in the custody battle. Yes, I know. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, I, you know, it's just like, it's, when you're, when you're asking yourself, like, okay, what's my priority right now? You know, sometimes this is a tough decision. You have to say to your yourself okay you know like do I want to focus on my career do I want to focus on my relationship or or do I just want to be online as much as possible yeah (laughs) and you know what I think we all know that that is the healthiest choice uh is that we need to be online more and uh yeah we you know we need to be posting as much as possible you know sometimes yeah not relationships don't always last forever sometimes uh, we have to send our, our reply guys uh, out into the into the sun. Yeah, I just it was, I told you, I, it was hard it was when I told. Uh, yeah, it's hard when I told little tiny Pearl that her her dad was never coming back. Uh, little <laughs> he tiny went out, Pearl he went out for cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, if you're just tuning in now, little tiny Pearl uh, is my cat, and you know she's she's been well adjusted, but now she's not growing up in a two parent home. Uh, I'm wondering. You know, is little Pearl gonna whore around? You know, is yeah. little Albert going to be uh, selling drugs? I don't know. You know, uh, they're just we they're love, not. We love we love and support them either way. Yeah, no, we do. I mean, I'm just I'm pretending to be conservative here for a second. But if little Albert was getting into drugs, we would 
be engaged with harm reduction. If right. li- if Little Pearl had, you know, 20 little cat boyfriends, we would support her and we would be sex positive. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but and luckily both my cats are fixed, so... That's good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so, so theoretically, if Pearl were on, like, a fox spree... It would just be for sport. It's yeah. not a procreation thing because she can't. Do you know, like, I don't know. No, you didn't have to go through this because you adopted an adult cat. But, like, when Albert and Pearl got uh, spayed and neutered, I I cried because, like, not because they weren't going to have babies, but because, like, my little tiny guys were having surgery and there was just something so sad about it. Like... I don't know. I know I sound like a really weird cat lady right now, but it's just no. sad to think of your little bunnies having a surgery. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you're going to cry now thinking I, about it. I, well, they're, they're so small. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, I think though, uh, whatever hard time it, it may be, uh, you know, in the coronavirus pandemic, um, in the, the ups and downs of our personal life, uh, I think that we're, you know, maybe seeing the end of the pandemic on the horizon. Um, they announced today, the Biden administration announced today that by May 31st, they'll supposedly have uh, enough vaccines for basically anyone who wants a vaccine, which hopefully is Hopefully most is people. everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, obviously there's going to be uh, problems with distribution. Obviously, the Biden administration has not lived up to other promises, but that's the plan. And um, yeah, I saw someone tweet uh online i was sorry for not remembering but i saw someone tweet a shot girl summer you know (laughs) and uh i think that this is gonna be i don't know i'm i'm going to uh i'm going to recover my broken heart and then i'm going to uh be involved in in what in future years shall be known as fuck festival 2021 (laughs) yeah (laughs) Joel, uh, Joel Kim Booster had a funny tweet, uh, quote tweeting the the announcement about about it, it all happening uh, as of May. He was like, "If this is true, I am going to perish during Pride 2021." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't our, know. It's going to be a very, it's it'll be a hedonistic time to be sure. Um, everyone, know, be, but- be careful with and uh, just preemptively be careful with your drugs. Um, I don't want, I don't want to see any of our, any of our comrades, uh, end up in, in critical condition because they, they're, you know, snorting something that's accidentally laced with fentanyl. This is just me now becoming a dare officer and I'm Uh, really sorry about that. Yeah, we should do another harm reduction episode. Yeah. Let's bring Garrett back. Let's Um, bring him back and be like, (laughs) post-pandemic party episode. Um, but you know, as of now, we're definitely still, um, in the pandemic and I know that you wanted to, to talk about Texas. Yeah. So there's some late breaking news. We are recording this on, uh, Tuesday, March 2nd. And, um, as of maybe an hour or two ago, it was announced that the governors of Texas and Mississippi will be completely lifting um, all of their COVID restrictions and downgrading them from um, like ordinances, official law to uh, recommendations. And um, the governor of Texas, as we have all come to know and hate, is Greg Abbott. Um, and this is particularly unconscionable and irresponsible, not only because obviously the the CDC has said that it is not advisable to go back to business as usual at this time whatsoever, but also because Texas has 30 million people and Texas and Mississippi combined uh, comprise 10% of the American population and there really is no telling uh, how much damage this is going to do, but I will hazard a guess and say probably a lot. Um, you know, it, it feels like by the Biden administration announcing that, that we could be, be out of the woods by the end of May. I mean, this this announcement coming just a few hours later does feel like the other shoe dropping. Like, oh, this could, I mean, this could set the timeline back 
considerably. Yeah. Because the vaccine doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting the coronavirus. I mean, like, it... And you can still be a ve- you can still be a vector. You can yeah. still spread it to other people. Yeah, it means that if- you don't die, and it means that yeah. you are less likely to to get COVID. But you know, it's not a zero percent chance of getting COVID. So yes, this is going to be horrible. And uh, Greg I- Abbott, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just I, I my roommate works in the coffee industry, and they made the point that like you know just like for the the service workers in Texas, just you know every like person who works in a restaurant or a bar or um you know retail it's like n- now they're not even going to have the protection of people wearing masks mm-hmm. um yeah because yeah i i should have uh i should have said that but all of the the mandates related to covid19 including mandatory mask wearing uh so n- man- mask wearing will no longer be mandatory uh which a lot of people will not do it you know like it yeah. sounds it sounds totally wacko that someone would not wear a mask, but obviously this has become a huge contentious political issue that you know people are like signaling their politics by not taking basic <laughs> protections for themselves or for others. Obviously, disgusting. it makes me so angry uh, and not with like the people, the average everyday folks who maybe. <laughs> have been like brainwashed by Fox News who into thinking that wearing a mask turns you gay or something. <laughs> but um I wish. I've I wish I've been doing it for months and Come I still on. keep uh, falling on that dick. Yeah. Um but no, for people like Greg Abbott who I mean these people know exactly what they're doing. They are making conscious choices to endanger the lives of the people to knowingly kill people in their state uh in service of of capital uh in in the hopes of just squeezing a few extra dollars and starting the economy again um and you know this has been an ongoing problem for the entire pandemic this is why this country like all of us we've never really truly shut down completely um and it's just been because they don't want to stop the money machine (sighs) <sighs> and it makes me really sad. It's very sad. I mean, just, you know, hundreds and th- hundreds of thousands of needless deaths at this point. I mean, what half a, what, half what is a million, half a million people dead. Yeah. And what? I mean, the, you know, obviously these, these numbers are going to go way, way up before the pandemic ends. Um, Kate, are your parents vaccinated? My parents no, my dad is vaccinated. My mom was going to get vaccinated, but then she had another medical issue. But I think she's going to get vaccinated soon. But my dad got the vaccine. Um, Great. So, yeah. Uh, so hopefully soon, you know, my roommate, one of my roommates is vaccinated. Um, I have some friends starting to get vaccinated. So, you know, it's happening. It's it's coming. But uh i i don't know i'm thinking i'll probably get vaccinated like i mean i'm gonna be in the last group but it seems like that could potentially be like in may you know yeah um so that would be that'd be cool i cannot wait to get that vaccine um and uh yeah it's gonna coincide with spring i i have a more uh bummer story for this week well not more bummer than what's going on in texas but more bummer than than the vaccine um Okay, so we now have uh, multiple sexual harassment allegations against uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. And uh, I mean, I think that the the real breaking news on this is he's even more of a disgusting piece of shit than we thought. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so Lindsay Boylan, uh, like she she posted some more details of how he sexually harassed her. Um, and I, she was the first person who came forward. Um, but then also, uh, Charlotte Bennett, a, uh, entry level staffer who used to work for him. Um, and then someone else came forward, uh, Anna, um, and Anna Rook, Root. I don't know how to say her last name. I'm so sorry. But, uh, she was like, uh, pressured by Andrew Cuomo at a wedding to like, uh, kiss her or something um yeah she <laughs> wedding be, like, reception. It, and there's a photo of it uh <laughs> Ew. 
Um, you know, and he's just kind of, uh, Cuomo's pulling the old, I was just being playful line of defense. Uh, hey, hey, I'm an Italian. We love the spaghetti and the sexual harassment. (laughs) (laughs) I know how this goes. I'm from an Italian family. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, there there's been a lot of pressure externally and internally for there to be an independent investigation, um, outside investigation into all of these claims. Um, and that is even Cuomo resisted initially, of course, um, but he has relented and is allowing the investigation uh, to happen. Um, Lindsay Boylan, some of you, some of our early listeners might remember her from our show. We interviewed her uh last year she was running or, for congress she was running for jerry nadler's seat right oh that was was that two years ago what year is it <laughs> that was in 2020 yeah that was the oh, 2020 okay. primary yeah no 2019 primary 2019. oh my god it was two yeah. years ago okay what, um what even is time i'm asking what is myself time? yeah i don't know no because i knew yeah i know that because we were we spoke to her in person so it had to have been 2019 she came over. Um, she sat on my couch. Little Pearl wasn't even born. Oh, she had a very. She has a very cute daughter. So Lindsay's yes. great. She's the truth. I I love love and support Lindsay, and she is. Uh, yeah, I really. I think a lot of people have uh, appreciated her coming forward and telling uh, telling her story and. Um, God, if there were, it's, it's like, are there not enough things to hate about Andrew Cuomo? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's being investigated by the New York Attorney General's office at this point. Um, you know, I mean, we did an episode about Cuomo, uh, maybe a few weeks back with Sean KB from the Antifada on, you know, the whole New York political machine is behind Cuomo uh there was like a committee uh, investigating corruption at one point um and Cuomo just disbanded it when they started investigating him so I'm not really expecting that everything about this investigation is going to be on the up and up um you know, I don't know, but I mean, I would say that Andrew Cuomo's hopes for president may be dashed at this point, which is good. Yeah, that's great. And you know, uh, maybe maybe Cuomo uh, could have could have headed this off if, if he didn't release a book in fucking October about how great of a job he did uh, with the coronavirus yeah, before Lips, the coronavirus was over. I know Libs have really. Um, Libs have really turned on Cuomo, you know. I mean, I like, I, I remain. We love, up, we love to see it. I, yeah, it's, it's I was too so late. mad when everybody was Cuomo sexual. That was just absolutely disgusting. I know. Um, but you know, I mean, it's uh, it 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 remains like to be seen. You know, like whether the Me Too movement has. Uh, I don't know, just, is that still a thing? I'm not sure. I mean, seeing the way that Tara Reid was treat, treated um, by, you know, media, I mean, and it's like, she didn't even get, like, a, an investigation of her claims or, or anything like that, you know, and there was, like, all these, like, media pieces kind of, like, digging into her personal life and her past and just kind of, like, immediately trying to discredit that accusation without, like, looking into it to see what substance was there you know and yeah i mean and you know i really don't know enough about the tar reed situation to make a call one day one way or another but if her claims were spurious wouldn't you want an investigation to uh like discredit her yeah i mean um it, it was just you know it, it, it was like pretty obvious that um liberals were not willing to uh to remain principled you know like uh, this that me too has at least politically been sort of a ploy um which you know republicans have always said and it, it sucks when they're right but it's you know it's like we see you know like obviously like kavanaugh is like a disgusting fucking monster who should not be sitting on the supreme court but like you know uh, people should be held to account for their 
fucking, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault, no matter what political party they're in. And I guess it's good that, I mean, like, it's it's promising that there is some action being taken against Cuomo, but I'm, I'm very, like, remains to be seen. You well, know? I, yeah, and, you know, in light of the of this situation with Cuomo, people have, um, you know, resurrected the discussion around Al Franken. And I do think that, I think that that was the right call. I think forcing Franken to resign was the, I mean, first of all, he didn't have to resign. He also could have, he could have just said investigate. If Again, if there were no, if it, if they were baseless claims, he could have just said conduct the investigation i have nothing to hide the the, my issue and i you know i i I do think that that was that that was the right call i know that not everyone on the left agrees with me or even you know there are people in the who are more towards the center who disagree with me uh on that you know my love of my life jane mayer uh 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 reporter for the new yorker dedicated an entire article trying to discredit the women who accused him um, that was embarrassing in my opinion that was like yeah. i mean oh i live and breathe the gospel of dark money and uh i yeah i i was really disappointed in in, in her for that because i i also don't think like i think she's a great reporter but i also don't think that the the conclusions that he that she came to were solid um and you know were like be you know they weren't certainly weren't like beyond a shadow of a doubt or anything like that and i've been thinking a lot about the the me too movement lately um because you know as always it's just an endless uh there's there's always something to talk about in this vein um, you know, someone from our industry crystalia is uh is going to be um brought up on official charges oh wow i didn't know that there were going to be official charges that is also breaking as of today oh wow Um, i didn't see that yet i haven't been online enough you know i have not been online enough yeah um on basically charges of um child pornography and uh sexual sexual exploitation and the child pornography is for of course you know he um for those of you who didn't pay attention to this story god bless you um, Crystalia is a stand-up comedian who is pretty famous. It's on TV. Um, and he was on that show Whitney or something. Uh, he's pretty famous. And he had, it was uncovered that he just had a, 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 a habit of kind of like grooming and exploiting underage girls. Yeah, and um, then he made an apology video about it that he put out last week, and it was such an embarrassing apology. Apology, like because to paraphrase, he was like, "Kids, in my defense, kids are hot," <laughs> you know. And and yeah, and he was like, also, yeah, he was like, "I cheat a lot, and I'm a pervert. I'm sorry." Like he no, but that's that's actually being too generous to him because, again, this is the thing that I've been thinking about a lot with, um in terms of the me too movement one one of the reasons why it's been so i have not felt a catharsis whatsoever um since the beginning of the me too movement specifically because there has not been a single quote-unquote apology where any where anyone accused has actually admitted to wrongdoing it maybe is dan always, harman that dan was- harman dan harman is I, is the only one you're right right but i mean it, it's like that's the one you know so that that's is why the one remember it's, it. yeah it's like um yeah you know um you know louis had the uh well these women really admired me like th- these stories are true and these women really admired me but i thought it was okay like <laughs> yeah because we all know whenever we admire someone in our career what we mean is we want to see their, their genitals yeah and kevin spacey was like i am he was like i want to address these allegations and say that i am a gay american and we were like okay well what about the other stuff (laughs) yeah and you know it's you know cuomo is now saying uh in his statement said i'm sorry to these women who misinterpreted 
my words and actions as unwanted advances as unwanted advances just because you put the words i'm sorry there that whole thing is not an apology you're I mean, you're it, saying i'm sorry it's like i'm sorry you felt that way that's yeah no i know is. it's it's a classic dickhead apology we've all been the recipient we've of all it. been there yeah but i mean like even just the, i'm sorry that these were uh, interpreted as unwanted advances well like you know Inter- said, there is no such thing as interpreting as an unwanted advance. It he was, said no. He said unwanted. he said mis. He said misinterpreted. Misinterpreted. So he's like, he's okay. making he's making an accusation within that quote unquote apology. But if they like, didn't these stupid want, women. Yeah. If they didn't want the advance, then it was unwanted. It was objectively yeah. unwanted. They are the determiners of whether or not uh, it was wanted or not. You know. I mean, and like. I don't know, man. Obviously, this is a complicated subject, but, you know, what I will say is when you have, like, multiple people coming forward with really similar stories, like, yeah, dude, that that shit happens, okay, you know? And, you know, we'll acknowledge, like, I'll, I'll acknowledge the optics of, like, obviously, Lindsey Boylan is running for Manhattan Borough President. And so people are accusing her of, like, using this to, like, raise her profile or something like that. But, I mean, the the girl in the the picture at the wedding is, like, she's, she's just a regular lady. She's just, like, you know, there's... And also, the idea that... That's that's one of the things uh, that has been plaguing the Me Too movement. This, this idea that, like, any women use sexual like sexual assault or harassment allegations as a way to get attention or to further their careers it's like in what world is that currency to further anyone's career i know it's it's so so uh it's so stupid it doesn't further anyone's career it's also Uh, like as it's in i don't think people i don't think that people who have never been in this position understand that coming forward about this stuff is very scary not just not just if somebody is a high profile figure but even like i was brutally sexually harassed at a summer job when i was in college and i didn't say anything because i was embarrassed about it like i didn't say i told like my parents and i but i i didn't say anything to my superiors because it like it's embarrassing to be like, oh yeah, all these guys make comments about my body every day. Like that's that shit is embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally I, people, get it. People don't understand like people who think that women are just saying this these things. I mean, and that's and that's like mild compared to what a, what a lot of women go, like there do people think that it's like fun to say that you've been like raped? Are you fucking kidding me? Like Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> I I actually wrote about sexual assault in my audiobook. Uh I am I'm talking about this to raise my profile by <laughs> my audiobook, but or to listen to it for free. But um no, I was one thing that I talked about is like how like at the height of Me Too, like this was I don't I don't remember the exact timeline, but it was, you know, several weeks after the Harvey Weinstein allegations came out and, like, you know, right after, like, Louis came out and stuff. So it was, like, peak, peak, peak. Like, I went on a second date with a friend of a friend, like, a guy who knew people I knew and, like, seemed very nice, and I was sexually assaulted by him. And it was, like, it was, I was, like, thinking, like, dude do you not like read social media like how are you staying offline you know and um i i think that you know it's just it's 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 very frustrating because um like although you know the increasing awareness of like consent like certainly has made a difference for for some people like not the people that most need to hear it you know like those people are are filtering out that information and and you know i mean andrew cuomo obviously you know gross in so many ways i mean just like somebody who just has a a giant 
problem with accountability in general, um, you know, as many politicians do. But in, in his case, it's, you know, it's just it's been particularly egregious um, in, in light of his COVID response and also, um, you know, yeah, we haven't even really touched. We haven't even really touched on the fact that he the nursing home hit, shit. He hid the deaths of the the numbers of of deaths in New York nursing homes. Yeah, which honestly should be like that alone should be grounds for resignation. Right, and then we're looking at or expulsion. Right, and so we're looking at Andrew Cuomo, like someone who absolutely does not deserve to be in office. And then in a couple minutes here, we're going to air an interview with Shama Sawat, who absolutely deserves to be in office and there's like a a bunk recall campaign against her like you know from fucking billionaires in seattle because you know she spearheaded the tax amazon movement um and you know the green new deal in seattle and other you know housing justice reforms so i mean it's you know if you're listening to this show you don't have to we don't have to tell you on the idea that um politics is uh, disgusting and unfair and always <laughs> favors the ruling class but anyways please stick around and, and listen to that interview with shama she's so so cool um a couple other notes uh please subscribe to our patreon if you have five bucks a month uh we just did a really cool interview with tom mckay um from gizmodo on his recent piece about the state of the right-wing internet after trump and that was so interesting it was also really <laughs> scary but it was so so interesting yeah. you know like what what the fuck is going on with QAnon at this point um you know what the hell is happening on parlor and i i think this stuff is is good to be aware of because um you know it's obviously like you know the seeds are being planted now for stuff that we're gonna see you know erupt in you know either a few months time or down the line but um, it's it's good to uh, good to keep your your finger on the terrible terrible pulse of what's going on <laughs> yeah. on the right wing web. Um, and oh then God! Second plug I have here is um, please check out my audiobook uh, Zerbag Anthropology. Um, I got some social stuff in there, even though uh, it is you know it's audible. But I, I'm really proud of how it turned out. I wrote about a lot of things that were really important to me and um i think if you like this podcast you probably like this this book so give it a listen give it a listen um we're all uh here at reply guys we're all very proud of kate <laughs> yeah that would be uh julia uh, and little pearl and little pearl uh, yeah. all right so thank you so much for tuning in um and uh, we will see you next week bye Hello, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on Reply, guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, okay, you're in the middle of this recall campaign, and it's the billionaires that are coming after you uh, and their minions. Why are they coming after you? The recall has four charges. All of them claim that I broke the law in some way or another, one of the charges, for example, says that I broke the law by letting Black Lives Matter activists into City Hall. Another claims I used public resources for a ballot initiative. All these charges are false. I did not break the law, but that does not matter as far as the Washington state law on recalling elected officials is concerned, which is actually set up to be deeply undemocratic. The recall law, for example, does not require the charges made in a recall petition to be true. It only requires the charges to be stated properly, regardless of whether they are actually truthful charges or not. And every time I tell people, we're like, how can this be true? But it is. That and is wild. I know. And even though the state Supreme Court will decide whether or not this recall can go to the ballot, the recall law does not allow us to defend ourselves in court. In short, the recall law is well suited for retaliation against working people's representatives who dare to stand up to the establishment, who dare to build movements, and it allows wealthy people and the right wing to get a do-over of the democratic election results they did not like. And that's what this recall campaign is about. Wealthy people and a political establishment who were not able to defeat our re-election in 2019, wanting a do-over. 
but it, but you know in reality this is the latest and the most egregious attack on our socialist council office but it is hardly the first one ever since we took office in 2014 big business and the city's democratic establishment figured out that they can neither bully or marginalize our office nor can they take, get us to be loyal to the establishment discipline by forcing us to be part of their you know nice little grouping So then, big business and the right wing have filed lawsuit after lawsuit against us. I mean, I've lost count. Numerous ethics complaints, including, believe it or not, some ethics complaints for the fact that my office uses the city hall printer and copier for making leaflets and posters to build our grassroots movements, which of course we do proudly. But none of these attacks deterred us in any way. So then, Seattle's big business and the billionaire class, and also the Democratic establishment, went all out in 2019. They spent unprecedented amounts of money, sent any number of mailers with sexist, racist, and xenophobic attacks. Amazon alone threw down a million-dollar money bomb in the last weeks of the election, and yet Seattle's working class was able to win our re-election against Amazon's candidate. But the but the, but the recall is not against me as an individual. They, they. It's not because they, oh, they just don't like my personality or something like that. We have to be crystal clear. This is an attack on left movements and working people as a whole. They want to send a message. If you ordinary people dare to fight, if you actually dare to use an elected office to fight for marginalized communities and working people and against the rich, we will come after you. They're angry about him. How we made Seattle the first major city to win the $15 minimum wage. How we won a whole series of renters' rights that were not even thought of as possible to win, and how we won the historic Amazon tax last summer during the height of the Black Lives Matter protest. And I think this is one of the most important things. Also, it's not no accident that two of the four recall charges are a retaliation against me for having fought against, I mean, fought alongside the Black Lives Matter movement against police violence. And so, in other words, the recall is also a retaliation against the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole, and that's why it's crucial that we build unity nationwide. That is just absolutely wild that the charges don't have to be true. I mean, there's just like I, I, I can't even find the words for how ridiculous that is. Okay, so who makes up the recall forces? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you're asking that. So, recall is backed by some real pillars of the community. Billionaire Martin Seelig, one of the biggest property developers in Seattle, landlord for the ICE office in Seattle, he gave more than fifty-five thousand dollars to Donald Trump. Another is George Petrie, CEO of Goodman Real Estate, which is a huge apartment and commercial landlord. They own twenty-nine apartment buildings in Seattle. They're one of the most evicting landlords in Seattle. Then you have Eric Mendelson, president and CEO of National Health Investors, which is a Tennessee-based real estate investment trust with control in 240 nursing homes and senior living centers around the U.S. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. Dennis Weibling, managing director of Rally Capital LLC, Trump donor, but also donated to Obama. And um, we have Bruce Pym, who is managing director of Meridian Capital, which is a global investing man- uh, management for, I'm sorry, investment banking firm based in Seattle, which specializes in corporate mergers and acquisitions. Trevor Johnson, CEO of Blackwood Builders Group, again a major custom home building company. I mean, the list goes on and on. It also includes. Airbnb CFO David Stevenson, Merrill Lynch senior vice president Matt Westfall. Actually, we would run out of time if I had to name all of them, but those are a, some a of group the of millionaires and billionaires. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they and and you know the thing though is is they have donated to both uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, in the. Uh, you know, the, these many of these people, many of these billionaires have donated to both Republicans and Democrats, and I think that's a very important point as far as Seattle is concerned because there are no Republicans in Seattle City Hall. The mayor is Democratic, all the city council members are Democratic, and it has been this way for as long as anybody knows, except one socialist, me, uh, was elected 
in the 2013 election. That was the first socialist elected in Seattle in a hundred years. And I just want, I really want to share this with people who are outside Seattle because, you know, they may not understand what is the role of the Democratic Party in what's happening and also in the recall. I mean, the fact is that because of the enormous influence we have had since we were first elected uh, with socialist politics, city council in Seattle has seen an exodus of the more overtly, you know, blatantly pro-corporate Democrats. And so now the city council has a majority of progressive Democrats, a majority of women of color, and a super majority of women. This is the Seattle city council. But what happened in 2019 when we were up for re-election? Two of the Latina progressive Democratic council members in coordination with some conservative labor leaders ran their own candidate against my office in the primary election. They told stories to the media of how they supposedly agreed with the policies my office stood for, but I simply did not know how to work with others. I mean, this is important to point out because increasingly socialists and the left, young people, those of us who are not wanting to go along to get along and really want to fight for something meaningful, we will increasingly come up, come up on you know with allegations against us of how we don't know how to work with people. I just want to make it clear. I mean, we do, of course, work with democratic politicians when we agree on an issue that is in the interest of the working class and marginalized communities. But what we have refused to do is to adopt the mutual career climbing backdoor negotiation approach that even progressive Democrats base themselves on. And so uh, we have to reject these false personalized attacks and understand that they're actually uh, you know, attacks against anybody who wants to truly be loyal to ordinary people and not buy into this insider dealing. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think that's that's such a good point. Obviously, we've seen, you know, throughout the past few years, like so many ridiculous charges against socialists, you know, like Bernie Sanders is anti-Semitic or something like that, you know, I mean, just absolutely yeah. ridiculous, but they will find anything they can. Um, Absolutely. And that was a really good example you gave, Kate, about all the accusations that came against Bernie Sanders. I mean, yeah. none of them based in reality, but because he was so he was so steadfast in, in standing with working people. Absolutely. Although that moment in the New York Times interview where he said that he did not wish people a happy birthday, that was awesome. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was some king stuff. Okay. So let's go on to the next question. Um, so... Uh, these victories that you and your council office have championed, um, how did you win those? How have you been able to, you know, get so much done while people are saying that you can't get stuff done? Right. And, and, and might I say, Kate, before I, I, I answer the question, if we hadn't actually done anything, why would they attack us? Right? Exactly. Right. That's what they want. They yeah. want a big business prefers politicians who do uh, nothing radical, but will quietly do, you know, follow instructions of the Chamber of Commerce, you know, of Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk and, and all of those guys. Chill so, guys. Sorry, the cool, yeah. The yeah. Cool, <laughs> the cool guys. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's whom you want to say, you know, you, you tell your children, yeah, you should be like this wonderful billionaire who exploits his workers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the people the people who are running your recall campaign are really a, a who's who of the evil 0.1%. So I think that should tell everyone what they need to know uh, about what what the interests are here. Seriously, and, and you know, and, and that's really important, Julia, because, and we have to share this information with as many people in progressive and left movement nationwide as possible, because they're trying to portray this recall campaign as um, well, it's just genuine people in the district who just don't like her and she doesn't respond to district concerns. She just does her own socialist agenda. You know, so very, they, they're trying to portray it as a grassroots campaign. And so, yeah, like you said, they're, they're the who's who of the evil 0.1%. <laughs> And, and I think that what's really important, something that you you touched upon, is it's really important for the for the left to focus on some of the more insidious uh, attacks on the you know the socialist left that are happening in blue cities and states. Because some of the most nef nefarious bills uh, that I can think of of the past uh, ten years or so 
have happened in what we consider to be, you know, blue states like California, which is just, you know, of course, the Democrat, like just uh, stocked with corporate Democrats uh, and some Republicans. But um, I think it's, it's really it highlights a, a major problem that it matters what kind of Democrat you vote for. You can't just uh, as uh, as Kate, Kate loves to to your friend can't just vote blue no matter who um so yeah i think i think you know seattle is seen as such a a beacon of liberalism and uh such a hard uh, you know as you said not a nary a republican in uh in city hall that's and still this is happening i think that that should set off alarm bells for all of us on the left absolutely yeah sorry Um, oh no i was just gonna say absolutely and like I just, I, I really, um, I want to make sure we get also to like the strategies that you have used to, to get these huge victories, because I feel like, you know, for those of us that are organizing around the country, you've got some, uh, some valuable tips. You've succeeded. I think, yeah, I think the experience we've had with our office and with our movements in Seattle is very instructive for future organizing. And, and I think the point about how this is happening in blue cities is really crucial because that's where the questions and the confusions lie. You know, I mean, when we're talking to progressives and young people uh, who are politically radicalizing, it's not like they have confusion about where Trump lies or where, uh, where, um, where the Republicans stand. I mean, clear, they are blatantly against the interests of ordinary people. They're opposed to any real agenda of climate justice. Uh, so where the real confusion lies, what is, what, what, how should we orient ourselves towards the Democratic Party? And I think Seattle is really instructive because despite all other council members being Democrats, uh, an overwhelming number of our movement's victories began with only one reliable vote on the council, which was mine, and then ultimately passed unanimously or with supermajority, but only under immense pressure from really you know super organized and powerful movements that worked alongside our council office and having our office in the first place to expose the democrats who were failing us despite paying lip service to these issues that was the main component of how we were able to win and so for example the 15 dollar minimum wage you know which seattle was the major first major city to win and then that movement really went nationwide that saw the light of day only because we used boldly use our council position to launch the grassroots 15 now campaign along with progressive labor unions and rank and file workers and union members, which overcame not only the opposition of big business and the corporate Democrats, but also the cautious instincts of some labor leaders who, you know, who really were trying to build the movement, but who were completely unwilling to openly clash with the Democrats. And that's the reality, even the uh, progressive labor leaders and also the progressive Democrats on the council, none of them was willing to actually go out and fight for $15 an hour. Some of them would privately tell me, I support this, but I don't know what backlash there will be from the Chamber of Commerce. I want to play it careful. Well, therein lies the problem. That is the crux of everything that we need to understand. Because as long as you have leaders, whether it is elected in the legislature or unelected leaders of the movement on the streets, uh, you will need need to clarify this. What does it actually mean to be accountable to ordinary people? It means taking on, it means embracing the conflict with the establishment because there is no other way in which social justice victories can be won. There is no situation where you can tell them hey, this is a good idea. Here's the economic evidence to support this. Let's do this. No, we know that's not how it works. It only works when we have the courage to fight against them. That means we have to have leaders who have the courage to fight against them. And real accountability means the willingness and the understanding, politically understanding that you have to take on that conflict. And so that's how we were able to win $15 an hour because we launched mass the 15 Now movement uh, organized a series of mass conferences, launched neighborhood action groups, held a series of marches. And then here's the most important thing. We democratically decided in the movement uh, to, and when I say democratically, I'm not just doing playing lip service. Literally, we had hundreds in a school play, uh, you know, basketball field where we 
uh, discussed major issues and voted on them. But the most important tactic in the movement was filing a grassroots ballot initiative so that we could take the issue to voters if the city council members, uh, if the Democrats failed to vote yes on, on the bill. And that was crucial to forcing the hand of big business and the establishment because, and they admitted it freely afterwards that if it wasn't for that ballot initiative, they were not about to support $15 an hour. They were forced to vote yes, even though they disagreed. Similarly, we won the Amazon tax last year, which uh, basically taxes large, the largest corporations to fund affordable housing and Green New Deal programs, which is so crucial, you know, especially in this pandemic. That happened only because we organized the Tax Amazon movement independently of the city's democratic establishment. I mean, we invited the progressive Democrats to speak and represent their views, but none of them did. None of them even came within sight of our movement. But we organized mass conferences. Again, like I said, democratically, we, we voted on major things. And again, we had a ballot initiative tactic where uh, we collected 30,000 signatures for the Tax Amazon ballot initiative to present a credible threat. But here's the most important thing, 20,000 out of those 30,000 signatures were collected at the Black Lives Matter protest last summer at the rate of 1,000 a day. In other words, the black and brown working people who were out there fighting against police violence, they also understood that not having affordable housing is a major attack on our communities of color and that we need to tax big business to fund our needs. Yeah, I, that is, I mean, everything that you have described makes so much sense. And you've clearly put so much into it as well as, you know, so many uh, of our comrades in Seattle. In light of all that, like, what do you think of uh, Biden just capitulating on $15 without a fight? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, Biden's pro-union speech recently, I'm sure uh, many who are watching this will have saw seen it, in which he references Alabama, though not uh, Bessemer directly, the union uh, unionizing drive. He says there should be no intimidation, no coercion, no threats, no anti-union propaganda. All of this is extremely significant, and it is an indication of quite how much pressure there is on Biden and the Democrats to deliver not only on the explicit promises they made, and I'm coming to 15 in a second, uh, but on the fact that tens of millions of working people now have a much higher bar for what they will accept from politicians. I mean, the BLM movement, for example, last summer, it captured not only the anger at, against racism, but also the generalized frustrations with the status quo, anger at corporate politics. And the vote for Biden happened in that context as uh, Julia and Kate, you were, uh, you were referring to, that you know that it was it was a vote to get rid of Trump and that was crucial, but people are demanding real change and so in in that context, the capitulation on the fifteen dollar minimum wage I think is being noticed by millions of people. I will say I mean first of all the progressive Democrats are openly urging the pro corporate politicians in their own party to support fifteen. It does show that they're feeling heat just like Biden's union statements, but. I mean, it's just incredible, right? The fact that the Biden administration and uh, I mean, uh, and the Democratic establishment, they say, oh, we cannot do anything. The parliamentarian has spoken. I mean, this is just not credible. Until a few days ago, none of us even knew that such a thing as a parliamentarian even existed. I mean, did you guys know that there was such a thing? As I, parliamentarian? Not until this this battle and even though whoever the parliamentarian is i don't know who it is i don't know what their gender is but i'm just gonna say this person sucks <laughs> but i kind of feel bad that they're having so much put on them they're just like uh like you shouldn't be listening to me like you're elected officials like do your thing i actually you know? i actually did know uh that the senate parliamentarian exists i'm like uh, that's more of an embarrassing thing for me, though. She's that um, kind of I am, yeah. But and I also know that she, uh, it's, it's a woman, and it's she is the first, the first female parliamentarian, and now she is a household name, uh, or the she's not a household name, but the parliamentarian, the office of the parliamentarian is a household name now but, because but for of her. Reasons, right? Yeah. Um, so and and I think that you know I've been. Uh, I've been pleased 
that some members of the Senate, uh, some more more of the left members of uh, of the Senate Democrats, have you know stated that she needs to be that we she can be overruled and she must be overruled, and this is a, a furthering of the conversation about killing the filibuster. Um, yeah, she. I mean, again, she's not an elected official. Her words are not law. Um, and she can be replaced. Um, and Biden is kind of throwing his hands up right now in a way that is leaving a lot of people who voted for him. And certainly I, I have to go back and think to uh, the the bloodbath that we had in, in Georgia to get our uh, senators Warnock and Ossoff elected and the the number of people who uh, who put their blood, sweat, and tears into those campaigns, how disappointed and betrayed they must be feeling right now to see to see uh, the Democratic establishment really just kind of throwing up their hands. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. That's that's exactly the point. I mean. Uh most of us didn't know such a thing as a parliamentarian even existed. And suddenly now their word is gospel Mm -hmm. and powerful President Biden and powerful Vice President Harris and the powerful senators are suddenly impotent. I mean, let me ask this. Where was this powerlessness, supposed powerlessness, when they were going to the mat to fight for Neera Tandon's appointment? Um, Who's a person, a South Asian American like me, but that's where the similarity ends. Uh, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I haven't no, seen I mean, your Twitter, so yeah. <laughs> are, do you like to post? Maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, our, our our Twitter account is really great. You sh- you guys should. You I'm, I'm going to follow. I'm going to tag you. Absolutely. Please do. Please do. But th- but that's the thing, right? I mean, where was all this supposed? Oh, we can't do anything when they were going to the mat to fight for Tundan's appointment. I mean, this is a person with a track record of being furiously pro-corporate, opposed to $15 an hour, eager to undermine social security and always ready to please her corporate masters. I mean, it just goes to show that Democrats, unfortunately, this is the truth, use rules and so-called decorum to justify selling out working people. And so I I think that this, this really does bring up a question, an important question for the left which is the question of strategy. I mean, this is a serious one. I mean, I, I, so it's, it's not only the question of what Biden and the obviously pro-corporate Democrats are doing, but it's also a question about uh, what strategy we need and uh, what strategy the progressive Democrats are willing to take. I mean, I, one question I have, having been on the front lines of winning $15 an hour is, why aren't these progressive Democrats, the squad, the major labor leaders, why aren't they calling for mass rallies of working people in key states like Georgia, West Virginia, and Arizona to bring real pressure on the those of you know those in their party who are not uh, you know who are opposing fifteen dollars an hour? I mean, and I think that's really important. What what you guys were pointing out about the, you know the bloodbath in 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 Georgia? Why why were black working class people told to vote for the Democrats if the Democrats are not even willing to do something so minimum. I mean, $15 an hour is the bare minimum and mm. we have people living in deep poverty. These are workers. And, and look at the opportunity really, right? And this is why I think the left needs to take this seriously. The white working class people in West Virginia, the black working class people in Georgia, the immigrant working class people in Arizona, you know, where Christian Cinema's district is, we could really unite people from different regions, from different backgrounds, working people on a principled agenda of fighting for something like $15 an hour, which there is huge unity on. And the same thing applies to uh, you know, Medicare for all, the need for Green New Deal jobs. I mean, and I think that's where, again, what we have done in Seattle, I don't think we should look at it as through a local versus national lens. It should be seen through a fighting strategy versus, versus a business as usual strategy. I think that's how I would differentiate right. it. And you know, we would not have won in Seattle if we didn't have a movement and an office that was willing to go well beyond what progressive Democrats in Congress are willing to do right now. 
Amen. Well, thank, I mean, thank goodness there are, there are people like you uh, fighting that fight. So, and, and I know that you, you had talked about the, the Amazon tax, you had alluded to it. Um, so do you think that the, the tax Amazon campaign is set to kind of uh, spread through the American consciousness, like the fight for a $15 minimum wage did? I think, uh, you know, I'm so glad you asked this question because I think that also has a lot to do with why we have a recall against us because not only did we win the Amazon tax, which they are just apoplectic about that victory because- I love that. (laughs) Huge fan. I know, seriously, me too. Um, But also that, that, you know, movements are contagious. That's what the ruling class fears the most. So it's not only that- we won the tax here and we, we forced them to concede here, but that it's going to inspire working people and community organizers in other cities as well. So right now, actually, the city of uh, activists in the city of Burbank in California in Southern California have just launched a tax Amazon movement. And that has, um, again, you know, they, they are using a similar approach because they're inspired by what we have been able to do here. And you know, most importantly, they understand that we need a fighting strategy. And so they're, I think they've uh, announced their first action conference. And it's really heartening to see that it's um, the climate justice movement, socialist alternative, my organization there, and uh, Democratic Socialists of America, they're all uniting behind this tax Amazon movement. And they also have newly elected council member, Constantine Anthony, who is part of this tax Amazon movement who has spoken at our rallies here. And he's also, uh, you know, now publicly supporting us, uh, our solidarity campaign against the recall. And so it's really, it shows what potential there is when we can, when we win one victory, it can actually spearhead other victories as well. And I, and this is important because the best protection for the Amazon tax here is for us to win against the recall, but also for other cities to win as well, because that's the best antidote to the race to the bottom uh, agenda that big business has. Uh, and, And this is not only important in principle, just in general, but you know, the other thing that's egregious is progressive Democrats in Washington state, as we speak, are attempting to undermine our city's Amazon tax by saying ridiculous things like, Oh, but we don't want Amazon and billionaires to be double taxed. I mean, are you kidding me? Have you looked at, when was the last time you looked at what taxes working people pay? You know, in Washington state has the nation's most regressive tax system. We pay not only double, but quadruple and quintuple taxes because we are the only ones who are taxed. Jeff Bezos pays little to nothing. And so uh, the best way to prevent these Democrats from selling us out is if we can win the Amazon tax in other cities as well. That is awesome. And I, I am, I'm not going to stop flipping out if you get recalled. So we better make sure that you don't. How can people support the Shama Solidarity Campaign? Uh, first of all, if, you, if you're watching this and you haven't gone to our website, please make sure you go to shamasolidarity.org. That's my first name, K-S-H-A-M-A, solidarity, one word, dot O-R-G. Uh, and we, as you know, as always, we are going to face billionaire cash against us. Mm-hmm. So we need to fight back with working people's sacrifices and donations. So... Uh, please uh, donate generously because that is the only way we are able to wage a real campaign against this recall. But also when you donate, keep in mind that we are not just fighting defensively and it's not just about, as I said, it's not about me. It's not about socialist alternative. It's about building a fighting left and not accepting this attack against us. Um, uh, But we are also, you know, we, we are, we're also going on the offense. You know, we are fighting to win comprehensive COVID relief in Seattle by increasing the Amazon tax. Thursday, I'm actually going to be hosting a committee meeting that I'm chairing in city council to fight for renters to have, uh, you know, publicly funded, guaranteed legal counsel, you know, attorneys when you're facing eviction, because we know that's going to happen. And data shows that having an attorney is a life and death difference for renters. Um, and 
So make sure you look at the stuff we're fighting for, contact Socialist Alternative also. You know, maybe this is the organization for you. Everything that we have accomplished, I'll tell you, Socialist Alternative as an organization has been the backbone of it. It is not about one individual's genius or charisma or any, any such nonsense. It is, it is when ordinary people come together and fight, but in an organized way, that's when we are able to move mountains. And Socialist Alternative being a democratic organization where rank and file make the key decisions through discussion and debate and being an organization rooted in the working class. I mean, our members are working class people. Like I'm, I myself, you know, I'm a member of the teachers union. I think that has been uh, absolutely decisive in whether we have won or lost. And so I would really urge people to explore that. And if you're not in Seattle and you live in other cities, then we definitely need uh, left leaders, progressive labor union leaders, labor unions as a whole, progressive organizations to endorse our campaign and publicly speak in support of it. All of that is uh, necessary. And I'll just say, you know, we should not, we should not be discouraged by what's happening because, you know, the capitalist class, the bosses, the big, you know, corporate developers, the politicians that support them, they want this system. But the tens of millions of us for whom the system is not working, we need a different society, a socialist society, a society free of exploitation, free of racism and sexism. We've just seen these egregious uh, uh, revelations about Andrew Cuomo, you know, yeah. we, and we need an environmentally sustainable society. So when these, when we have a situation where these two visions are completely in conflict, we should expect that when we fight and especially when we win, they will try to retaliate. So given this deep and irreconcilable divide, we, we have no choice but to fight back because we can't afford to go backward. And so let's fight back and let's win. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We've talked about you on our podcast a bunch of times. So it's so cool to, to get to talk to you. I was going to say in person, but really on Zoom. And um, <laughs> hopefully we, one day, one yes, day in person. We, uh, yeah, solidarity. And uh, to everyone watching this, uh, please, please support the Shama, the Shama Solidarity Campaign. Your name, it's like, it makes solidarity come out of my mouth. So there we go. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway I saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me this land is yours